My name is Cara and I serve in the fifth and sixth grade room for kids ministry. I wanted to contribute to that process of building the relationships with the kids in a way that would make them want to come. I also wanted to be a consistent leader so that I could create a representation in our classroom where kids could see leaders that also look like them. Traders Point is a very welcoming church and it's a very open church. And I wanted to show that we are for everybody. And not only are we just here sitting in the seats in the sanctuary, but we're also here serving. And there's a place for everybody here. The fifth and sixth graders are amazing. I get to watch them go into middle school. So I get to watch them transition into being a little bit more mature. They get to go into their teens now. They have questions. They want to know answers. They're actually engaging and intentional about building their relationship with God. And man, there are some kids who knew more than me. I think what people get stuck on is that they don't know the answers. You don't have to know the answers. Find out together, because now this is contributing to your growth too, and you're here to teach. But that doesn't mean that you're also not there to learn. They just need someone to show up. We might be the only person who asks them how their day was today. They just want someone to care. And everything else, you can learn together. I wasn't really sure in the beginning if it was gonna make a difference. Being invested and being consistent, you're not always going to see an immediate payoff. I've had plenty of kids where for months, I've said, hey, how are you? And I get a fine. Sometimes they'll engage, sometimes they won't. But after a while of being consistent with my hellos and checking in with people and being intentional with getting to know them better, the relationships did start to blossom and they started to form. Before I knew it, kids would come in and they would be looking for me. Or kids would come in and they would be excited to share what happened that week. To know that the consistency that I committed myself to, the showing up every Sunday and being available has now resulted in this beautiful relationship built on trust and love. In the process of doing all those things, I get to tell you about God. I get to show up for you and I get to also show you how God is showing up for you. All right, hey, can we celebrate Cara at all of our campuses, celebrate her, as well as all of the people who serve and to make a difference. And we get to hear not just the how, but the why uh, they make a difference and why it is important to them. And we're so grateful for everybody who steps in and serves around here. And we know that there's a few people, uh, many people who probably are desiring to step in and make a difference in some way. And so at each one of our campuses out in the lobby, we have serve tables there. We would love for you to stop by there on your way out, connect with us, and then we'd love to help you take your next step in getting connected to, to serve as well, all right? Uh, well, as I said, my name is Kyle. I get to serve as the downtown campus pastor. I am very excited to be here with uh, each and every one of you today. And before we jump in, I want to let you guys in on something that is happening in about uh, a week. So twice a year as a staff, we engage in a week of prayer and fasting. And we've been doing this for the last couple of years now. And all it is is us looking ahead towards this next season that is coming. And we are saying, God, we never want to get ahead of you. God, we want to stay submissive to who you are and where you are leading us. We want to stay humble in the process. So there's moments of repentance and confession in that. And then we begin praying that God would just touch each and every one of our ministries, that he would begin reaching people in our city uh, who don't know Jesus. And he would just allow us to be a part of what he's already doing around us. Uh, and as we approach that here in the next week, uh, beginning at the end of, of uh, July, Pastor Aaron uh, and a few of the other leaders here in our church said, I would love for us to invite the entire church into this. 
where we get to begin praying towards what God is going to do in this next season, uh, we believe that he is going to do exceedingly and abundantly beyond anything that we can ask or imagine. And we get to rally around that together. So here's what that looks like. Uh, beginning on July 31st, we're going to begin a week of prayer and fasting. And there's probably a lot of questions and details that you're wondering. And we have provided a space for you to, to learn all about that. You can go to tpcc.org slash prayer and fasting. So mark that down, write it down, save it as a bookmark on your phone, and then visit that because all the details that you need to know are going to be there. Some of the highlights of that that I'm excited about is every day we're going to pray at the same time as a church. So no matter where you are, it's going to be around lunchtime. We would love for you to carve out some time within your day to just begin praying. And we're going to be praying over different areas of our church, of our city, and really inviting God in to what it is that we are seeking him uh, to be able to do. So um, I can't wait for that. I don't know if you guys are excited about that, but it's going to be a very, very powerful time. Can we just celebrate all that God is going to do ahead of time? Uh, and if you're joining us right now, we are in a series called uh, Summer Road Trip, and uh, it is exciting. And I am excited because it reminded me of some of the road trips that I have been on. I think a lot of us have been on some road trips where they're very memorable. They're things that happened uh, that we remember. But one of the trips that I remember taking uh, that's memorable to me is the very first trip I took with my family, my wife and my kids. Uh, we have three of them, Bree and I. Uh, they're all girls, so pray for me. Um, <laughs> At the time, this was last year, last summer, they were six, they were four, and they were six months. So, yeah, somebody said, ooh. <laughs> yeah, we had the bright idea of let's take, uh, you know, tiny humans down to Atlanta and eight hours of them not being able to control their bladder or feed themselves, and it'll be fine. Um, but I said, I'm going to outsmart them. This is what I'm going to do. We're going to leave for Atlanta at bedtime, right? And so I'm like, okay, we're going to leave. They're going to be sleepy already. They're going to sleep through the night. It's going to be great. And as I'm pulling into the parking lot of the hotel, they're going to wake up bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. That didn't happen uh, at all. They woke up halfway through the trip asking for iPads, Chick-fil-A, and public restrooms. Um, but it was a great time. We had a remarkable time uh, as a family. This is a few pictures of us. We, uh, this is us pulling into the parking lot of Chick-fil-A. Very excited, as you can see. Uh, we went to the Georgia Aquarium, which was phenomenal, and our, our kids got to experience some, some remarkable things. Uh, the highlight of the trip, though, for me, happened actually at our hotel pool, and it's, it's what solidified for me that my kids are PKs. They're pastor's kids, okay? Because I look over, and out of nowhere, I see my oldest daughter washing away the sins of her younger sister. <laughs> Nearly drowning her. She... She had a vest on and she was not going down. Uh, but she said, you're going down in Jesus' name. Uh, uh, but it was fine. She lived. Uh, we almost got to see if the baptism worked because she about drowned her. Um, but no, I think a lot of us have trips that we've taken and what makes them memorable are the experiences, right? The things that you got to do while on the trip. The moments where uh, maybe you laughed uncontrollably or you even cried uncontrollably when things that didn't go so well. Or times you almost got lost because you didn't listen to your wife uh, with the directions, hypothetically. Um, no, but like we all have these experiences and they make the trip memorable. But I would argue that one of the best things about taking a trip isn't just the experiences that we have, but it's getting to tell the story of the trips. When people ask you when you get back, you know, how was so-and-so? How was this trip? And you get to tell them about the story. And what we've been doing in this series is we've been looking at a guy in the New Testament by the name of Paul, 
who is taking some trips. He takes three very, very important trips. And on each of these trips, he has these stops along the way. And he's telling people a story. He's telling people this story actually about a trip that happened earlier on in his life, a story about uh, something that happened that was very memorable for him. And he's telling this story to anybody who will listen. There was uh, the Paul who, you know, was a very religious leader, and he actually hated Christians at one point in his life. And he was doing everything that he could to stop them from spreading the message of Jesus. And so he is taking this trip from Jerusalem to the small town called Damascus, and he's getting ready to arrest some Christians, have them thrown in jail. And in the middle of that trip, he has this encounter with Jesus, and it changes everything about his life. He becomes this new person, and he has a new purpose. You can read about it in Acts chapter 9 later. But Paul becomes one of the most prominent leaders of this movement, the very movement that he's trying to stop. And he spends the rest of his life telling the story about Jesus. And that's what we get to do in this series. And so today we're going to be in Acts chapter 17. If you have a Bible or a device with a Bible on it, go ahead and flip or, or scroll there. We're going to be in Acts 17 towards the latter half of it. Uh, to give context, last week we saw that Paul made his way to two towns. One is called Thessalonica. The other is Berea. And Paul and his squad, they get ran out of both of those towns. And so what Paul's friends say is like, they're, they're like, hey, Paul, go ahead to the next town. Go ahead to Athens. And we're going to catch up with you later. So that's where we're going to pick up in verse 16 of chapter 17. While Paul is waiting for his friends, this is what happens. Verse 16, it says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply troubled by all the idols that he saw everywhere in the city. And he went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles. And he spoke daily in the public square to all who happened to be there. We're going to pause right there, unpack this a little bit. Um, Paul is, is waiting for his friends, and my man decides to do a little bit of sightseeing. Um, Athens was this vibrant, eclectic city that had a lot to offer. And so Paul's like, hey, I'm going to go out. I'm going to, to hit the town. So here he is in this beautiful, beautiful city that has a lot of rich history, and it's like one of the cultural and intellectual centers of the world. I mean, he's walking some of the very streets that uh, philosophers like Plato and Aristotle likely walked at one point. But the crazy thing is, as he's doing that, he's not even really remotely concerned with that. All he can focus on is the fact that there are all these different shrines that exist around the city of Athens. Everywhere he looks, there's these, these different temples and these altars that have been erected and built to honor all of the gods that the Greek people worshipped. And there were a lot of gods, hundreds and hundreds of gods that they worshipped. Uh, there's even this quote, uh, the ancient quote that says that uh, in Athens, there are more gods than men. The city of Athens itself is named after one of the goddesses, uh, Athena. And so Paul is, he's seeing all of this. And I don't know if you caught his response, but it says that he was deeply troubled. As he's looking at all of these uh, different shrines and these altars that they have built to these gods, it says that he's deeply troubled. He's, he's grieved in his heart. There was this, this sudden emotion that was elicited within him because of these false gods that these people were looking at and worshiping. And he was so sorrowful and grieved and, and broken over it. And as I was reading, I was like, man, that's inspiring that Paul is, is doing all of that. And he felt this way in response to all of this idolatry that was taking place. And it was almost like in that moment as I was feeling that, uh, the Holy Spirit just uh, kind of subtly whispered to me, like, Kyle, do you feel that way? 
Kyle, as you, as you look out into the city and you see all of these different things that people are worshiping, yes, there's not necessarily temples and, and there's not necessarily these monuments dedicated to these gods that people are serving, but there are these gods that people are serving outside of me. Some of the very gods that at one point in time, Kyle, you used to worship, the, you know, gods of, of sex and, and, and money and the god of, of power. Kyle, do you feel the same way? Kyle, do you know that these people are chasing after all of these things, trying to attain fulfillment, but it's fleeting and it's momentary. But all along, here I am trying to, to have this relationship with them. Kyle, do you see the city? Do you see the gods that all of these people are worshiping? And do you care? Do you care enough to do something about it? And that was a convicting and sobering thought that, that God placed on my mind. But I was encouraged as I continued to read because Paul he doesn't allow that internal emotion to grieve him that he doesn't do anything about it. He actually moves it into action. And as you read, you see that he begins to interact with all these people. He went to the synagogue and, and had a conversation with the people there. But he also went out into the marketplace and he started having conversations with people out in the marketplace. And I love that. I love it because Paul was reminded of the mission that he was on. The emotions that he felt, the grievances that he had, it reminded him of the mission that God had given him. And the same is, is true for us. Jesus has given us a mission. And that's one of the things that we can take away. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Jesus establishes our mission. Jesus establishes our mission. We learned about that um, last week. Pastor Bart reminded us of what that mission actually is. It comes out of Matthew 28, where Jesus says, hey, all authority has been given to me, now go. Go and make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them uh, to obey all that I have commanded you. That is the, the mission that we have been given. And we are to look out and to see that the harvest is ripe for that mission. But similarly, I think um, just as we can look out at the city and we can be grieved over it or our, our communities and be grieved over it, there was another thing that I feel like God was saying to me in this moment, too. And he was saying, but Kyle, don't forget first to look inwardly. Because our own hearts can be city of idols. Our own hearts can be uh, drawn away from the true God. And we can begin to worship these things outside of God, looking to them to bring us momentary pleasure. So God was saying, hey, first, I need you to do the heart work that's in your own heart. Submit that to me. Do the confession and the repentance to me. And then allow that to move you to this awareness of how people are looking, after, looking for me, but they don't even know that they're looking for me. And let that set you on mission. And so we, like Paul, have this opportunity, as we feel that brokenness in our own hearts, to then take that to other people and to enter into relationships and into conversations, real conversations with real people. We don't get into arguments on the comment section of social media with truth. Well, I think social media has its place. No, we enter into real conversations with real people. And we seek to live out that mission with grace and humility and love. And so I would love for us to keep reading because Paul goes in depth about what this actually looks like to have these types of conversations as he enters into the marketplace. Look at what happens in, in verse 18. It says, he also had a debate with some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. Look at this. When he told them about Jesus and the resurrection, hold on to that. They said, what's this babbler trying to say with these strange ideas he's picked up? Others said, he seems to be preaching about some foreign gods. 
And so I don't have time to uh, go into the depths of Greek philosophy, nor do I want to pretend to have the intellect and the intelligence to be able to do so. But I will kind of break down what we see here. Um, the Epicureans, they believed that um, there was a God that existed, but he didn't really involve himself in humanity. So their logic was, okay, if death is the final end and there's no judgment after that, then our main pursuit while we're here in this life is pleasure. We're going to live it up. We're going to pursue pleasure to the nth degree and nothing else actually matters. The Stoics, on the other hand, their, lot, their thing was we're going to put logic over emotion. And they found tremendous like nobility and value in being able to go through life and show no emotional response to the hardships of life. And so if they could get through life and, you know, things are happening to them, but they're not emotionally responding to them, then that, that's noble to them. That's what life is all about. And as I was reading that, I was reminded that both of those philosophies are very much alive and well today. We may not call it Epicureanism or Stoicism, but we experience that. Many people experience that. Many people are saying that pleasure is the ultimate thing in life. I only have one life to live, so I'm going to live it up. And then you have other people who maybe are going through very hard things right now. People right here in this church, and maybe it's a relational thing. It's a marriage. It's a divorce. It's a job loss. It's financial issues. And you're saying, you know what, if I can get through this and I can just stuff all the emotions down, if I can not let anybody in, if I can show that I'm tough and I can, I can forge through this, and that's what's most important. But we see Paul enter into a conversation with these two trains of thought, and he actually, he offers a third way, and it's brilliant, and I love it. And Paul enters into a conversation with these two camps of people, and he says, hey, let me tell you a story. Let me tell you about Jesus and the resurrection. Let me tell you that there is this man who left heaven, and this man that came to earth, let me tell you that there's this man who lived a perfect and sinless life. And do you know what that perfect and sinless life got him? It got him nailed to a cross. And on that cross, he sacrificed himself and atoned for each and every one of your sins, the sins that separated you from your heavenly father. And then that, that man, Jesus, was taken down from a cross and he was put into a grave. But guess what? This man, Jesus, he wasn't just uh, some good moral teacher. This man, Jesus, he wasn't just another prophet or some good person that lived out and taught all these great values. No, this man, Jesus, claimed to be God. And he proved his claim by raising from the grave three days later, restoring your relationship with your heavenly father. And now you get to partake in the peace and the, and the hope and the grace that God has designed for you to have this entire time. Let me tell you this story. That is the story that he began to tell and he began to change everything. And so just like Paul preached on Jesus and the resurrection, not only does Jesus establish our mission, but Jesus is our message. Jesus is our message. Nothing else, everything we do and everything we say as followers of Jesus points to Jesus and the hope that we have that is available in him and him alone. And here's why that's important. There is no shortage of other messages that are out there today. Open your social media app, browse the internet, open a book. Like there are tons and thousands of messages that are screaming for our attention that are proving or trying to prove that other things in this life actually matter. I mean, you have the self-help, self-help, you have the prosperity, you got horoscopes, you got all these different things that are clamoring for our attention. And they're all, all this messaging that's promising something that ultimately I promise you will leave you empty. But the message of Jesus and his resurrection 
is the only message that says God sees you and loves you and proved it by leaving heaven to come here and die for you. And it is the only message that offers the power to redeem and to save and to restore those who are lost and hurting and broken. The only message that exists. And I know that from experience. I know that because that's my story. That, God, that's how God got a, a hold of me. He got a hold of me uh, in college. And it changed my life forever as somebody preached the gospel to me. And I, and I said, okay, I'm going, to, I'm going to give my life. If this is true, I'm going to give my life to it. Because I was chasing after everything. I was, I was Epicurean and Stoic. I was epistoic. Uh, I didn't say apostolic. I said epistoic. Um, but Jesus changed everything. And I began praying and fasting that he would allow me to just tell the story to people around me. I began praying and fasting that God would get a hold of their hearts, family members and friends. And that's what happened. One by one, I started to see the domino effect that started to happen. And years later, my brother would begin to follow Jesus and give his life to him and, and be baptized. He's here, he's here today, right here in the front row. I saw my mom then give her life to Jesus and get baptized right over there in that tank over there. I saw my sister give her life to Jesus and get baptized in that very same tank as well. Like one by one, as the story was told, he began to work. The story is powerful. As Romans 1.16 says, the gospel is the power that saves. And so in response to what Paul says in this marketplace to these two different philosophies, um, they say, okay, that's kind of different, and it's a little, even a little weird, but it's interesting. We want to invite you to tell this story that you're telling to more people. So they invited him to this place called the Areopagus, or, or Mars Hill. And it was this place up on the hill in, in Athens where pretty much people just sat around and talked about the latest trends and the ideas and, and gossiped all day, kind of like the TMZ of our day. Um, that's what they did. They said, hey, come up to this place called Mars. We want you to tell this story to all these people who sit around talking about philosophies all day. And so in verse 22, this is where we pick up, Paul does it. Look at what it says. It says, so Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. He says, men of Athens, I notice that you are very religious in every way. For as I was walking along and I saw your many shrines, and one of your altars had this inscription on it, to an unknown God. This God, whom you worship without knowing, is the one I'm telling you about. I don't know if you know what, what's happening here, but they had built this altar and they wrote this inscription on it. It was almost like a form of, of insurance, right? They had so many gods and they said, hey, just in case we like missed one, we're going to build this altar. We're going to write this inscription on it. Just kind of a way to like cover our backs, right? And so that's what they did. And Paul sees this and he's like, hey, let me, let me tell you a story. The God that you don't even know about, but you wrote this inscription to, let me tell you about this God. And I just want to speak to maybe a person who came here today and you, you're in a place like that. You're in a place where you might be open. And you're curious about who this God could be. You're curious about who God is. You're curious about what his purpose and his plan for your life actually is. I think Paul has something to say to you as we read. It's, it's deep, so bear with me as we read through the rest of this. But 
it unpacks who God is and what he wants for your life in some profound ways. So look at what it says in verse 24. This is what Paul says to them. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples. And human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything. And he satisfies every need. From one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. And he decided beforehand when they should rise and fall. And he determined their boundaries. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Though he is not far from any of us. Hello, Epicureans. For in him, we live and move and exist. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times. But now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. Man, that is amazing. It's deep, but it's amazing because he's explaining God's perfect purpose and his plan and how all of it culminates to who Jesus actually is. And actually, when Paul is done giving this sermon, it says that there are a lot of people there who respond by laughing at him. And they mock him. They don't want anything to do with what it is that he said. But there's a, a few select people who actually say, that's, that's actually kind of interesting. I want you to tell us more about it. And they actually become believers. And I think there is something that happened there that is very significant that we have to pay attention to. Yes, what Paul said is important. The content in which he spoke. Very, very important. But I think there was also something methodically that he did that allowed them to connect with his message. It wasn't just what Paul said, but it's how he said it. Paul did something that we call um, contextualize the gospel. So there was purpose and reason behind why he was walking throughout the city of Athens, learning about their culture, learning about what it is that they worship, learning about um, the different things that influence their day. And he used that in order to be able to support the truth claim that he was making. Things like the altar that they had to the unknown God. He even quoted um, one of their own Greek poets and said, hey, your very poets say that we are his offspring. Paul had uh, what we call cultural intelligence, all right, CQ for anybody who's familiar with that. And uh, it was very important because it led him to be able to unpack the gospel in a way that they could understand. Um, I'm not the most culturally intelligent person, but I'm a little bit uh, culturally intelligent. Um, so growing up, I am multi-ethnic and my dad is African-American. So as a result, I have a deep, deep love for hip hop. And I went to a historically black college in Washington, D.C., Howard University. And my mom is half Caucasian, so I was exposed to other cultures growing up as well, like rock and roll, country, and doing things on a lake. Um, so. <laughs> I say that to say I can draw sermon illustrations from Bon Jovi to Biggie Smalls. Um, I, can, I can sit with my white friends at the Indy 500 and watch the race and be like, you know, there's another race that we're in. And Paul says that we need to run this race with endurance because there's a prize. 
that is at the end of our race. Or I can sit at a, a cookout across from some of my black brothers playing spades. And as I throw out a king, I'm like, you know what? There's another king <laughs> that trumps all kings and all people. And I'm very privileged that I was able to be grown uh, and groomed in uh, an environment that was diverse and different cultures and ethnicities because it has aided me in being able to connect with different people in different ways. All of it pointing to truth, but I get to be uh, strategic in how I unpack certain things in a way that people can understand. And Jesus was a master at this as well. Jesus lived amongst the people uh, that he lived around, and he constantly was using imagery and examples of things that were going on in their everyday life in order to point to the gospel, things like farming and agriculture and economics. He did it with intention, and he did it with purpose. And I think we can take our cues from both Paul and Jesus, because not only does uh, Jesus establish our mission, and not only is he our message, but Jesus also inspires our methods. He inspires the ways in which we connect with people and we unpack the gospel in the ways that we tell the story. Uh, the message doesn't change. Okay? The message is and always will be Jesus. We don't water down the gospel to make it more comfortable or palatable or convenient. We don't do that to make it cool. We don't conform to culture to appease people as we tell the story. The goal is not conformity. The goal is clarity. And so that's why we use different methods and ways to connect with people and in ways that they can understand. And so just like the message, the way the message doesn't change, we don't change either. Okay? We are trying to stay authentic to who we are and everything that we do as we tell the story of Jesus. But sometimes the way in which we tell the story and connect with people needs to change. Uh, I love that our youth ministry is at the pinnacle of doing this. They are constantly um, staying true to the gospel message and unwavering from that. But they are always trying to meet students right where they are and building kind of like these cultural bridges with them. I will be the first to say that I do not understand the lingo of Gen Z at all, okay? I don't even try. And a lot of people who serve in either kids ministry or youth ministry, you would agree with me. But it doesn't keep you from leaning in and being curious, asking questions, and actually looking for ways to build these cultural bridges. And we as a church, I'm so glad that we are constantly doing this. I'm glad that we are not just looking out at society and culture and, and shaking our heads and saying, man, shame on them. Man, they need to get their act together. Hopefully they come in, walk through these doors one day and they can hear about Jesus. No, we're saying, no, like, how do we go to them? How do we meet them where they are? How do we kind of see the world through where uh, the lens in which they see it? But then also we stay true to the gospel and we bring our cultural and biblical lens into that framework as well. How do we do what no one is doing to reach people that no one is reaching? I think Paul would actually say something very similar in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I love the way that the message version paraphrases this. Look at what he says. He says, I have voluntarily become a servant to any and all in order to reach a wide range of people, religious, non-religious, meticulous moralists, loose living immoralists, the defeated, the demoralized, whoever. I didn't take on their way of life. That's important but I kept my bearings in Christ, but I entered their world and I tried to experience things from their point of view. I become just about every sort of servant there is in my attempts to lead those I meet into a God-saved relationship. And I did all this because of the message. I didn't just want to talk about it. I wanted to be in on it. Man, does anybody else want to be a part of a movement that is like that? Well, we're saying, I don't want to just talk about it. I want to be in on it. But it requires us being strategic about the methods that we use. And I would say all of us would say, yeah, I, I want to be in on that, Kyle. 
That sounds great. Uh, but I want to pose a question to all of us then. If that's true, if that's something that maybe we aspire towards, then what keeps me from telling the story? As you look at your life, and this isn't meant to, to shame anybody, but just like an honest assessment, an honest interrogation, if that is true, then what keeps me from telling the story? And I think a lot of times it falls into one of those uh, paradigms, those, those, those buckets that I mentioned, the mission or the, the, the message or even the methods. And so for some of us, maybe it, it's the mission. And you would say, you know, you know what, if I'm honest, I am not bought into the mission, the, the, the mission, excuse me. I don't have the sense of urgency. I don't even think that it's my responsibility to tell the story. You know what, it's a lot easier just for me to invite them to church. And Kyle, you guys, you do it. Uh, you stand up there and you tell them the message. And I would say that I get that. Uh, that's not necessarily inaccurate. I would just say that that, that is incomplete. That, uh, yes, there can be a part of what we do, a part of the mission where we say, hey, come and see. And some of the disciples said, hey, come see about this man named Jesus who told me everything that, that, I, that I need to know, everything about my life. But then, as we said before, there's also been this commissioning where we don't just say come and see. We go and tell. So we shift from this come and see to this go and, and tell mindset. And that's important because uh, you have the relational equity with people that I or people who are on the stage will never have. You have the trust and rapport with your friends and your family members that give you leverage to be able to build a bridge that, that leads from their life to the life uh, that, they want to, that God wants them to have. You have that leverage through proximity and presence in their life. So you get to, to tell the story. But you first have to see, as I said before, your own brokenness. And then that then has to move you to feel and to know that you have been sent on mission. I love the way that... Um, Pastor and author Leonce Crump uh, said this in his book, Renovate. He said, for only to the extent that ourselves are broken, can the love of God sweep in and fill us with a desperate love for the people who surround us and the towns and cities in which we live. God's view calls us to see ourselves as sent and not simply existing. So my question is, do we see ourselves as sent or are we just simply existing? If you are a follower of Jesus, you have been sent to tell the story, both with your words, but also with your life. You have been sent to be on this mission. But the question is, are you even aware? And do you believe God wants to use you to do it? Uh, maybe you understand um, the mission, um, but the message is kind of what, what trips you up. Maybe for some you would say, you know what, I'm not, I'm not even a believer. I don't believe that message just yet. But I think there would be others who would say, you know, I, I believe it. Um, I just don't feel confident in telling it. I don't feel like I, I, I know enough. I don't feel like I know it well enough. And I hear you. But I would also say, um, as a loving challenge, if this is the most important story that we could ever tell, learn it. That you have a, uh, an obligation, you have a responsibility to learn the story that changes hearts and changes lives. And I think a lot of times we overcomplicate it. You know the framework that I use when I'm telling the gospel to people? It comes from our kids' ministry. God made it, we broke it, Jesus fixed it, and we receive it. Simple as that. That's the message. 
And so, yes, there may be things in the Bible that you have questions about and there's depths that you have to mine and explore. But God is not trying to complicate his story to us. It's, it's simple. It doesn't mean that it's easy, but it's simple. And so I would encourage you, take time to, to read the Gospels and to, to study resources. There's lots of them out there that help you understand what the good news of Jesus is and how you can be confident in sharing it with other people. Um, and then, yeah, there's, there may be some people who say, okay, I get the mission, I get the, the message, but the methods are kind of what uh, hold me back. I don't know how. I don't know how to, to uh, get to Jesus with people. And I would just simply challenge you and I would say, start where you are. Don't try to swing for the fences. Start, start where you are. Start with the people that are around you, the family members, the friends, the relationships that you already have, and find a way to authentically establish common ground with people around you. Build relationships with them. Invite them over to your house. Learn their story, their interests. Tell them your story. Tell them how your story then intersected with, with God's story. And this is who you once were, and then you met Jesus, and this is who you're now becoming. Imperfectly, but you're, you're following and chasing after Jesus. And we don't do this perfectly. I don't do this perfectly. Even as a pastor, there's times where I drop the ball or I miss opportunities. But one thing that I always do is I constantly pray, God, would you give me people in my life that I could share the story of Jesus with? That's a prayer that he would answer 100% of the time. And then what I also try to do is I try to constantly place myself in environments where I can be challenged and encouraged by others to go and to tell the story. This happened recently for me as I, I led a, a rooted group this past swing, uh, spring. Excuse me, I led a group of men uh, for 10 weeks, and we just walked through the curriculum of rooted and, and learned and surrounded ourselves around the message and the story of Jesus. Uh, and there was a guy in my group. Uh, his name is Jim. Jim uh, was very reserved and hardly shared uh, a lot of things at times, but he had these deep wells. There's a lot that he was able to, to draw from. Uh, and there was nights where we were around for two hours talking, and Jim hardly shared a word. But we get kind of halfway through Rooted, and we're in about week six, and it's uh, talking about serving. And it's about serving both inside the church and outside of the church. And Jim comes back, and he's like, hey, man, I want you guys to know that, like, I've really been digging into this, and I really feel like God is calling me to something more in my life, to be able to serve other people. And he's like, I just started, like, uh, having a conversation with the homeless guy who sits outside of my job every day. I started just asking him his name, his story. Uh, I give him some money from time to time, and uh, I just ask him questions about who he is. And then he said, and I'm thinking about inviting him to church. I'm thinking about going and actually picking him up and bringing him with me. And we're all encouraging him, um, but we didn't know what was going to be the result of that. Uh, and then the following week, he brings his friend, Fred, into the, the doors of, of our church. Both of them hear the exact same message. Both of them come down front to, to me for prayer after service, both erect, just bawling. Two different people in two totally different seasons, both equally broken, but both chasing after Jesus. And they've developed this friendship. And you know what Fred said? Fred said, and I'm so glad that G, uh, Jim built this relationship with me. I'm so glad to have this friendship. And I'm also glad he brought me into this church. I've never felt so seen and loved and valued. And I'm going back to my corner and I'm going to read the Bible. And he has been bringing Fred to church every single week after that. Fred has not missed a service. But what happened, what, hap what happened after that first visit is Jim took Fred out to get some food. He took him shopping. And he said, hey, I would love to just know more about your life. And they spent time driving throughout the city. 
And Fred was showing Jim just different places that he grew up in life, different jobs that he had. He was introducing him to some of his other homeless friends. It was a relationship that was built. And Jim started where he was. He wasn't going out trying to swing for the fences. He was just saying, okay, who is already around me that I can build a relationship with? And then I can begin to ask them their story, learn about who they are, share about who I am as well, and share what Jesus is doing in my life. And I think that's something that contextually all of us have the opportunity to do. It's to start where we are and watch how God honors that. But I think there's also just another camp of people who would say, um, I get the, the mission, I get the message, I get the, the methods, but honestly, I just, I don't have the courage I don't have the boldness to be able to share with people. I don't have the boldness to be able to share with my friends, to share with my family members. I get a little intimidated when it comes to to talking about Jesus around other people just because, I don't know, they may respond the same way that they did to Paul. They may laugh at me. They may say that I'm ridiculous for believing in in such things. Um, Paul would go on from Athens to a city called Corinth. You read about it in chapter 18. And here's what we can take away. We're getting ready to look at it here in a second. But not only does Jesus establish our mission, not only is he our message, not only does he inspire our methods, but Jesus fuels our motivation. He fuels our motivation. Paul would go to Corinth and he would run the very same play. He would go into the synagogue and he begins to have the conversation with the Jewish people there and um, some Gentiles that were also there. And they laughed at him. They ridiculed him. They spoke harshly against him. And I would imagine that Paul is feeling very discouraged in this moment. The scriptures actually say that as he was leaving out of the synagogue, he shook the dust off of his feet and said, you know what? I'm done preaching to you Jewish people. I'm going and taking the message of Jesus to the Gentiles. It was his way of saying, I'm I'm washing my hands of the blood that's, that's on your hands. And I would imagine that as he's feeling discouraged, he's kind of questioning and wondering, Do I still continue to do this? Do I stay on mission? Do I still continue to preach the message of Jesus? Do I use these methods that involve me building these cultural bridges with people? And we see that he has this vision and Jesus says these very words to Paul. In Acts 18 verse nine, he says, don't be afraid, speak out, don't be silent for I am with you. And no one will attack you or harm you, for many people in this city belong to me. So Paul stayed there for the next year and a half, teaching the word of God. And church, I'll just say that God is saying something very similar to each and every one of us. Yes, I know it may be intimidating. Yes, I know it may be fearful. Yes, I know you may get discouraged at times. And as you're thinking there, you're like, yeah, Kyle, you don't know my friends. You don't know my my family members. You don't know what it's like to have that conversation at Thanksgiving with my cynical uncle who hates Christians and has everything against the Bible and all this. You don't know what it's like. And God is saying, he belongs to me. I have many people in this city that belong to me. Guess what? They just don't know it yet. They just don't know it yet. That classmate that you have that uh, is always talking about you and gossiping and You're scared to share Jesus with them. They belong to Jesus. They just don't know it yet. That coworker that works down the hall from you that if you're being honest, you don't really care for. Um, They belong to Jesus. 
They just don't know it yet. That family member, that friend, the person that you have counted out in your life and you're saying there's no way that God could get a hold of them. God looks at them and says, yep, them. I have many people in this city. They belong to me. We just don't know it yet. And I pray that that encourages us. I pray that we don't have to have, we know that we don't have to have all the answers. We don't have to have all of our theological T's crossed and I's dotted. All we have to believe in is the power of Jesus and the very words that he said to Paul, I am with you. And that is enough. That is enough for each and every one of us to take this story, the best story that ever existed and tell it to a lost, broken and dying world who is searching for answers, who is feeling their way through life, trying to find fulfillment and meaning. And God is saying, I'm the one that they want. Tell the story to them. I am with you as you do it. They belong to me. We just don't know it yet. And so I pray that as we enter into this last song, I want us all to stand to our feet and get ready to worship. I pray that as we sing this song, that it's falling on fresh ears and fresh hearts, that we know that we serve a God who revives. We serve a God that renews. We serve a God that wants to reach the deepest, darkest areas of this city with the best story that ever existed, the best story that each and every one of us could ever tell. And we're believing that as we do it, God is saying, I am with you. They belong to me. Let us pray. Father, we thank you. God, we thank you for the best story ever. God, we thank you for the gospel, the good news. And God, your word says that blessed are the feet of those who bring that good news. So God, we want to take it. God, we want to take it to those areas of our city, those areas of our lives and our communities that need it. The dark areas, the people that we are counting out, the people that we're saying there's no way that God's grace should get a hold of them. We know that you're saying, yep, them. Build those bridges, build that relationship, tell the story, be hospitable, show love, show grace, tell the story. Because there is a mission the most critical mission on the face of this earth that we are to be a part of. And we get to join in and partner with you as we do it. So God, I'm praying right now that we would believe that you are the God of revival, that you would come awaken this city, that you would awaken your people, God, and that you would use us to do it, that we would give all the glory to you as that happens, pointing to you over and over again, because you are our message, Jesus. And may we be emboldened and motivated by you as we take this message to a lost, dying, and hurting world. And may you get all glory, honor, and praise as that happens. Jesus, we thank you and we love you. It's in your perfect and matchless name that we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen.